The name's Johnny. Johnny. Jonathan. Johnny. I have a demon. <laughs> and his name is hard to pronounce, so I'll just call him Vet. I am not a very smart man. You are so stupid. But I didn't think things would get this bad. A three-alarm fire. Tragedy has struck our community. Blame the lime. Man, oh man, was I wrong. Stay tuned for me, my demon, and I. Hello, hello, hello there, and welcome to Bumps in the Night, a true crime podcast focusing on crimes you may not have ever known happen. I'm your host, Divya, and hey guys, welcome back. Um, I hope that you guys had a good Thanksgiving and that you celebrated it with people that you love. And for those of you who don't celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope that you had a really good week. I hope that the week went according to how you planned it and that everything was good. So before we get into today's case, I just want to tell you guys about a format change I'm doing with my show. So the current format is I would discuss serial killers and go through their life and their crimes and things like that. And I want to change that format to talking about cases and when it comes into like relevancy, then talk about the killers because I don't want to be giving the serial killers notoriety. I want to be focusing on the cases and the victims themselves. And I want people to remember the victims more than the killers. And so that is a format change. And I'm really sorry if this is not the kind of show that you subscribed onto. But this is the change that is going to happen because that was something that I wanted to do with the show when I started it but I wasn't very confident with what I was doing so now I've I've been doing this for a month and I know what I want to do so the format change is starting from today so I hope that you guys are okay with it and that you continue listening to this show regardless of the format change so today we will be talking about the Setagaya family murders which takes place in Japan now, because this case takes place in Japan, there are a lot of Japanese names and Japanese words that I may pronounce wrongly or misspeak, and I'm really sorry about that. I hope that you guys can forgive me and can correct me on my pronunciation if you speak Japanese or you are Japanese yourself. So today we'll be talking about the Setagaya family murders. We will talk more about the Miyazawa families, the victims of these heinous crimes. We will talk about who they were and their personalities as well. The father of the family was Mikio Miyazawa, a 44-year-old man. He worked for Interbrand, which is a London-based marketing firm. There was no information on what Mikio worked as, though his fellow colleagues described him as congenial and that he got on with everyone and did not, was not the type of person to make enemies. He loved animation and in school he was active in puppet and other theater plays. The mother of the household was 41-year-old Yasuko Miyazawa. She worked as a teacher and ran a school from home. She was seen as kind and compassionate by others. The couple had two children, which were 8-year-old daughter Nina, who enjoyed ballet and piano lessons, as well as six-year-old son Ray, who attended a kindergarten in Setagaya. 
In 1990, the family moved into their new home in Setagaya. Setagaya is basically located at the southwestern corner of the Tokyo Special Wards, and the Tama River separates the boundary between Tokyo Metropolis and the Kanagawa Prefecture. At that time, there were 200 families living at the rapidly growing development. The family was the family home was kind of like a duplex. Allowing the Miyazawa family to live next door to Yasuko's mother, her sister, as well as her brother-in-law. However, to get from one home to another, they would have to go outside and access the other's ha- uh, door because there was no internal bonding between the two houses. So the Miyazawa's house had three levels to it. The first level had stairs leading to the second level. At the top of the stairs. There was a ladder that led to the third level of the house, which was a loft of some kind. The third level had a bed and a television. This information will come into play later on, and I will refer back to this current description of their house. There was also a skate park behind their house. The park was being expanded, which caused most of their neighbors to move out. The two hundred families living there then dwindled down to four. The Miyazawa's, Yasuko's family, and another two families that lived on the same street as them. The skate park was giving the Miyazawa family some grief due to the noise coming from them, because you know, as skaters gather, you know, with a big gathering of people, there's bound to be noise, and this was giving them grief. The Miyazawa's were planning to move out in a few months. Unfortunately, they would not make it to move out. As it was just before the new year, the feeling in the air was festive and joyous in Japan. It was also the turn of the century, as they were going from 2000 to 2001, which was going into the 21st century. Unlike other countries who celebrated it as 1999 to 2000, the Miyazawa family had a normal day on December 30, 2000. The next day, on December 31, 2000. Yasuko's mother tried calling her daughter. Unfortunately, there was no answer. So Yasuko's mother exited her house and made her way next door. She rang the doorbell, but to no avail, as there was no answer. She then got her set of keys to the house and let herself in. As she entered the house, she would discover the body of Mikio Miyazawa at the bottom of the staircase. Mikio was stabbed multiple times. Yasuko's mother then went up to the stair went up the staircase to check on the other members of the family. At the top of the stairs, she would find the bodies of her daughter and her granddaughter Yasuko and Nina, respectively. They were both stabbed about a dozen times. Later on, it was found that Yasuko's mother had touched the bodies of Yasuko and Nina, maybe out of desperation to check whether they were still alive or not. She went into the bedroom and she witnessed the last horror of the day: her grandson Ray dead on his bed. He was strangled to death. She then contacted the police. When Tokyo police arrived, they were too hor- they too were horrified at the whole scene. Immediately, the police started looking for clues and tried to piece together what had happened in the house. They inquired Yasuko's family if they had heard anything suspicious the day before. The only thing that had came to, that had come to their mind was that they heard a loud 
a loud thud at about 11.30 p.m. The timing was corroborated by a TV schedule in which a program was playing at the same time. The police suspected that the loud thud might have occurred when Mikio had a scuffle with the killer and was thrown down the bottom of the stairs. This scuffle was suspected by the police due to the numerous wounds found on his body. The stab wounds that Mikio sustained were mostly concentrated on his neck. Police would conclude that the stab wounds were caused by a sashimi knife. The knife was found in the family's kitchen, and it was also found that the knife was broken. Police further concluded that two knives were used in this crime. The second knife was from the Miyazawa's own kitchen, and was found that it was used to murder the mother and daughter. As the description I had given about the house before about the tree levels, many people have presumed that Yasuko and Nina were on the third floor, possibly watching TV. The bodies of Yasuko and Nina were found at the bottom of the ladder. The investigators of the crime had noticed that the stab wounds on Yasuko and Nina were excessive in nature. This led people to believe that the killer had some sort of aggression or prejudice towards girls and women. Police were curious to, as to why Ray, the son, was strangled instead of stabbed like his other family members. They finally figured out that it was possible that Ray was the first person to be killed. Interestingly enough, that afternoon, at a medical center at Tobu Niko Station, there was a report that a young man in his 30s was admitted due to a severe hand wound. It was so severe that you could see the bone. The man was treated and released as the hospital staff were unaware of the brutal killings that had occurred prior. So the house was basically a treasure trove of evidence. Police found so much evidence and I will go through the evidence found by police uh, as I go along now. So they found the murder weapons, the sashimi knife and the Miyazawa's own knife with blood on them. They had also discovered the family's first aid kit, which had been opened. Some of the bandaging had Nina's blood on them. It was also found that the perpetrator had defecated in their toilet and had not flushed it disgustingly. Some speculate that either the killer did not know DNA testing was a thing or they could have cared less. Analysis would uncover remnants of a sesame spinach dish which had string beans in it. So people on Reddit have said that this dish is like a very homely dish that mothers would prepare for their sons. So this will add into a theory later on. As there was some blood from the killer, the labs ran an analysis. The analysis came back that the killer had a type A blood. The sample was negative for drugs or stimulants, for drugs and for stimulants. There was also footprints in blood and dirt. This was strange in Asian culture because people do not wear outside shoes into the house as it's considered bad manners and it's also considered very dirty, like you're bringing outside germs into the house which is not a good thing. So people in Asia do not wear outside shoes in their house. The footprints belong to a Slanzenger shoe. The size was apparently 28 cm. This size was not found in Japan and it was only sold in South Korea. 
This led to two speculation, that either the shoes were smuggled into Japan or that the killer may have been a foreigner. There was also items of clothing found, a waterproof, a waterproof fisherman's hat, which the police detected a small amount of sweat, a long sleeve shirt, which was stained with a lot of blood. Surprisingly, it was found to be folded neatly. Two handkerchiefs were found, one in the attic and the other in the kitchen. There was also two, there was also a hole in the middle of one of them. So basically, all the clothes items of clothing were found folded neatly. Not just the shirts, but also the hat and the handkerchiefs were all folded really nicely. There was also perfume found on the handkerchief. The fragrance was Draconoa series. A green waste pack was also found. Interestingly, there was sand recovered. When analyzed, they traced the particles of sand to the desert near Nevada and California, west of the United States of America. More accurately, they come from the Edwards Air Force Base, a military base. Traces of perfume, a grip tape used for skateboards, as well as strands of black hair was also found on the green waste pack. The clothing items were found to have been washed with hard water. Hard water is water that has high mineral content, while soft water is surface water that contains low concentration of ions, in particular is slow in ions of calcium and magnesium. So Japan used a soft water system. So the clothing were washed in hard water, which was very suspicious. There was also evidence that instead of leaving the house once the killer committed the murder, he had creepily stayed in the house. He slept on the sofa in the family's living room. He also took out a bottle of wheat tea, a cantaloupe or a watermelon, and four ice cream sticks from the refrigerator. The killer had also accessed the family's computer located in the downstairs study. It was accessed at exactly 1.18 a.m. The killer, the killer visited a bookmark website of the Shiki Theatre Company, which was previously bookmarked by Mikio Miyazawa. The killer attempted to buy tickets for a show. Then the killer went away, and at, at 10.05 a.m., the killer came back and browsed various websites that were previously bookmarked by members of the family. He then unplugged the computer and he had also cut the phone cord, which if you remember, Yasuko's mother could not get the family and this was also why there was no ringing because the killer cut the cord, the phone cord. The killer strangely gathered the family's IDs as well, ID cards as well as credit cards which were sorted in the family's living room. Some speculate that he did this to try and find out the PIN codes needed to use the cards by using the information on the ID cards. The killer also gathered some of the family's belongings and garbage and placed them in the bathtub. The items were, of, were made of ice cream map wrappers, advertising leaflets, some of Mikio's work receipts, Yasuko's school documents alongside feminine sanitary products containing the killer's blood. It was unknown why the killer did this, but some speculate that he did it to, he was supposed to do this and wash away the evidence, but he forgot to on the water and he just left the garbage there. 
Police suspected that the killer had stolen money, approximately 150,000 yen. However, there was much more money found in the study room, so it was unclear if this was a robbery attempt by the killer. An old jacket belonging to Mikio was also stolen. The police worked out a timeline of sorts leading up to the day of the murder and on the murder itself. In the few months leading towards the crime, there were reports of animals being tortured in the neighborhood. A week before the murder, Mikio had confrontation with had a confrontation with a group of loud teenagers or skater at the skate park. On the 25th of December, Yasuko had mentioned to her father-in-law that a strange car had been parked in front of their house, not once, but a few times. On the 27th of December, an eyewitness saw a man in his 40s at the Miyazawa's house. On the 29th, at about 3 p.m., an eyewitness placed a man in front of the Cheng Cheng Academy on the Odok Yu line. The witness remembered the man as he was wearing clothes that was unsuitable for the cold weather at that time. She said he was wearing sportswear, sneakers, as well as carrying a small backpack. On the day of the murder itself, at about 6 p.m., the family went shopping. An eyewitness had recalled seeing them at a nearby shopping center. A neighbor driving by their house saw that the Miyazawa's car was not present at about 6.30 p.m. At 7 p.m., Yasuko had called her mother. It could have been that she was asking her mother if Nina could go over. This is further corroborated by the fact that Nina went next door to watch some TV until 9.30 p.m. At about 10.38 p.m., it is possible that Mikio had accessed his work email, which was password protected. This was the last known movement of any of the Miyazawa family members that night. Now we're going to go through the suspected timeline of the murder. The bathroom window was open and the screen had fallen off inside and the front door was also locked. So this led police to conclude that the killer entered to the second story bathroom window. They suspected that the killer made his way to Ray's room first and strangled him while he was sleeping. They were Police are not really sure of what happened next but they presume that Mikio, who was in the downstairs studying using the computer, might have heard the commotion upstairs and made his way upstairs and then encountered the killer. A scuffle may have happened and that's most likely when Mikio met his grisly end. The knife probably broke when the killer murdered Mikio. The killer then went looking for Yasuko and Nina and when he found them, he attacked Nina first. When he realized that the knife was unusable, he made his way to the kitchen to retrieve another knife. While he was gone, it was possible that Yasuko and Nina tended to Nina's wounds, evident by the bandages with Nina's blood on it. When the killer grabbed the knife from the kitchen, he made his way back up and killed Yasuko and Nina. In an article from the unresolved.com website, the writer suggests that maybe after killing Ray, the killer attacked Nina first. Mikio, upon hearing the commotion, made his way up and tried to distract the killer, which led to the scuffle and the murder of Mikio. As he was near the kitchen, he grabbed another knife and rushed upstairs. 
While Mikio was distracting the killer, it is possible that Yasuko and Nina were maybe tending to Nina's wound and after that, trying to head up to the loft to try to hide from the killer, hoping that the ladder could be drawn up behind them. Unfortunately, this was not what happened and they were murdered. At about 10pm, a witness walking along the park path behind the house heard an argument coming from inside the house. They said it sounded like a couple arguing. At about 11.30pm, an eyewitness saw a man hurrying along the walking path next to the family's house. This was about the same time Yasuko's family heard the loud bang coming from next door. A taxi driver recalled picking up three passengers close to the Miyazawa's house. The three passengers were middle-aged men. They were quiet throughout the journey. It was well past midnight, which the driver thought as as strange. The men wanted to be dropped off at a nearby station. One of the men had a wound on him and was bleeding out onto the seats. It is unsure if this incident was tied to the crime or not. In April, sometime after the murder, police discovered a small Buddhist statue about less than a mile away from the Miyazawa's home. It was also brought, it was brought in as evidence. The statue was in the image of Jizo, a Buddhist deity that protects travelers. Jizo is also a protector of children, taking care of souls of unborn children and those who die at a young age. Police thought that this was evidence that it could have been a sign of guilt or remorse from the killer. In flash forward to 2006, DNA testing was able to find some biological information of the killer from the blood left behind in the house. A police source told Japan Today that, and I quote, the killer was of male the killer was a male of Asian extraction. His DNA carried a marker from his father that occurs in one out of every thirteen Japanese, one out of every ten Chinese, and one in every five also Koreans. Based on the mitochondrial DNA, his mother had an ancestor originating from the south southern Mediterranean area, probably about probably around the Adriatic. From the clothes left behind from the killer, it's suggested that he's about one hundred and seventy five centimeters tall and has a waist size of thirty two point six inches. So now you're probably asking, Divya, they probably found the killer, right? from all that evidence that was left behind and all the blood and everything, they probably found the killer, right? Unfortunately, this case to this day still remains unsolved. But there are many theories that have been given out by um, police and other people on Reddit and on Google on different uh, mediums. And we are going to go through these theories now. So one of the theory is that it was one of the skateboarders that Mikio had spat with the week before the murder. The police suspected that this may have rubbed one of them the wrong way and that he might have taken revenge on the family. So another theory is that someone from it was someone from the American military. Due to the sand found being linked to the Edwards Air Force Base, this led some to believe that the killer went to training there and was then stationed in Japan. However, there is a counter-argument argument that the hip bag 
might have been bought secondhand by the killer. Also, if there were military personnel, they would have matched fingerprints left behind the uh, by the military database because the I'm pretty sure that the military requires all uh, personnel to get a fingerprinted so they could have matched it so because they didn't it's been disputed that it was not somebody from the American military another theory was that the killer could have been a relative of someone working in the military they would have not had fingerprints on file and would have been able to flee from the country under the guise of following their family to another base also another theory was that the killer was a drifter some speculate that due to the Setagaya having easy access to several train systems, that somebody could have used the train system when there, killed them, and used the train system to escape. Another, the last theory is that it could have been a former member of the South Korean military. In December of 2015, Fumia Ichihashi, a true crime author, published a book about the murders. In it, he alleged that a former member of the South Korean army military, a man he calls R. He writes that the dirt left behind at the crime scene, he was able to track back to a Korean province in which R lived in. He, was also claimed, he also claimed that the fingerprints left behind was a match to those of R, which he was able to obtain. It's unsure whether this is true or not, but it's their resolve, so I guess that might not be the full truth. So over 250,000 Japanese police officers and investigators have been involved with the investigation over the past 16 years. Due to the sensationalized situation of this case by the media and the long investigation of the case, this caused the abolishment of the Statue of Limitations in Japan, removed in 2010. There is also this one picture that I saw online about the, that shows the police, the Tokyo police paying their respects in front of the Miyazawa house years later. This is a really sad case and also it's really screwed up in the sense that there's so much evidence gathered. The killer was not shy about leaving any type of evidence it was like he was kind of like taunting the police like see i'm leaving behind all this evidence but you're still not going to catch me kind of feeling and to this day it's still an unsolved mystery if you have any con like anything like if you know somebody who has any information about this case i think you should talk to the tokyo police as this case is still ongoing and it's just a very sad case and really mind-blowing that there's so much evidence and still nobody has been caught to this day so guys i hope that you and that is the case of the setagaya family murders so i hope that you guys got some information from that learned something new from that case and that you are also as mind-blown as me as how can this killer not have been caught yet so anyway i will see you guys next week i hope that you have a great week ahead and that you will continue to stay spooky bye guys
god, I know words. Yeah, I love etymology! Spooky Yuki. Murderer. Double murders. Zombies. Horror is always political. Mm-hmm. I don't like that at all. Hi, I'm Alex, and I'm a creep. And I'm Sunshine, her creep-enabling best friend. Together we tackle all things horror. History, politics, science, and sociology. From zombies to serial killers. Pomegranates and Pitchforks is a horror and true crime podcast that brings true stories and not-so-true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. 